Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I am your host, KG Smooth. Uncle Funky Larry Jones, and as always, sir, you look good. Thank you. Considering all that you've gone through and been Man, through mentally, I understand. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. And, I understand. and mentally, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned yeah. the mental because that's what uh, this segment of the Public Affairs Podcast is about. So uh, on the phone line, we got a crew. We mm-hmm. got a trio <laughs> on the other end. He is the CEO of Sun Behavioral Health. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brennan Francois is on the line. Good morning, sir, or good afternoon, good day. How about that? <laughs> good day to you guys. Uh, she's the chief nursing officer at Sun. Uh, please welcome Kia Walker. Good afternoon. And uh, she's the director of clinical services for Sun Behavioral Health, uh, Rebecca Van Vagel. Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, so... Tell us about Sun. Um, what is Sun Behavioral sure. Houston? Well, Sun Behavioral Houston is a 148-bed psychiatric facility. We offer a continuum of services uh, for inpatient and outpatient. And with our recent COVID outbreak, we went to telehealth, which has been a very learning, quick learning. Um, service that we can provide to our consumers and keep them safe at the same time. Hmm. We uh, specialize in uh, dealing with patients with mental health and substance abuse disorders. Um, We offer those services for children from age six to through teenage and all adults um, and to our seniors. Sir, during this COVID-19, KG and I, and of course, anyone who's breathing knows that we have had an outbreak, a rash of social social disobedience, uh, relationship disorders, the family unit is falling apart. Does your organization help groups like this? We are always open to help groups like this. Uh, you know, it, it, the problem with mental health is that people have to come and search for that help. Gotcha. Um, and, you, you know, like everything in our life and problems and issues, we have to reach the point at which we realize we have a problem and that we need some help and that we're going to extend our trust to reach out to people for help. But we're always open to not only help our patients in our inpatient and outpatient services, but to actually support groups that are helping the patients, because that is our clientele, that is our consumers that we love and and serve. Mm-hmm. I see that you all offer an array of um, services. Uh, besides that, what what else do you provide? Well, um, in our array of services, of course, we've talked about the inpatient and the outpatient. Right. Some, sometimes people are confused about the outpatient, so I'm going to try to break that down a little bit. We offer a hospital. Um, we offer an intense outpatient program, which is on our lower end. Um, that serves adults and adolescents Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 9 to 12, 15. Um, but we also offer a partial hospitalization, um, and that program is also for adults and adolescents, and it's Monday through Friday from 9 to 3. Sometimes when people come to therapy, it is a complicated mixed bag of things going on, and they may come inpatient and stay from 4 to 5, maybe 6 days, um, but they continue to need uh, support. So as we do that continuum of care down to partial hospitalization, it continues to reinforce those goals and problems and issues that we are 
blessing and that support that they need more than anything. We also find it's really important that families participate so that they can have a clearer understanding in regards to what those problems and issues are and how to support um, productively um, the progress of the patients we serve. Mm -hmm. um, what, um, what ages do you all provide the services for? Because of... That's a good question. Um, I, I would tell you we have the continuum of age. We start from age six um, with our children. We have an inpatient program specifically for those kids with a, a milieu that's based on their developmental needs as well as their social, uh, social uh, psychosocial needs. Um, and then when we, we come to adolescence, um, we have a program that starts at age 13 um, through 18 that look at dealing with their problems and issues, but also their social development and how to manage their emotions, how to manage their feelings, how to manage their behavior. Um, we encourage our patients to take ownership uh, for their behavior and to continue to work at developing improvements, much like we do with our own children. Um, but sometimes these kids have a plethora of things that have happened in their lives um, and they need just a little extra support. And then for our adults from age 18 to senior, um, we offer some distinct program. We have a women's unit. We have a highly intense unit. We call it our Bridges unit um, that we really look at offering uh, patients uh, with PTSD, um, with psychosocial needs, um, um, the care that they need and the support that they need. And we then we take and we connect those people not only through our partial and intensive outpatient, but sometimes when they're going back to traditional uh, care, we help set up those appointments so that they will continue their care moving forward. And then we have our seniors, um, which is one of my favorite units, um, where we, we really um, work with not only the patient, but we really intensify that that work with the families because they need ongoing support. And sometimes that's inclusive of housing and where they're going to live next um, and how they're going to continue to find that support. And, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but when you have family, when you have family who's older, sometimes you need the extra support, even though you're not the patient to talk about how do we manage their welfare um, most positively. And Mr. Francois, I, I want to ask, uh, and for the group, uh, at Sun, what are the signs or symptoms of men mental illness? What what would she we sh what should be we, we be looking for? I'm gonna let the I'm gonna let the therapist speak to that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you know, there's um, usually you see a lot of long lasting sadness. You'll see um, an increase in um, depression or decrease you know, excessive fear or worry that, you know, people have extreme highs or extreme lows. Uh, people are isolated and they're social, but they have social withdrawal. And that's kind of hard now with the COVID because there's a lot of that social withdrawal and isolation because we're mandated to do social distancing. Um, so we have to differentiate between the two so people can start feeling that way in our times that we're having now. Um, there's usually dramatic changes in eating or sleeping. So you'll see that uh, piece as well. So just those are some of the things like excessive weight loss. If you see someone who's who's lost a lot of weight um, or gained a lot of weight, so that's um, kind of an, an issue as well. And then you know just panic attacks or fear um, when you see people that have 
those types of things as well. So uh, you mentioned uh, depression in that um, I understand that there are probably different levels of uh, depression, mild, severe, or however it's categorized. When it comes to that, because a lot of people, myself included, um, experience or going through something, and once we get out of it, um, we find out that it was depression. And a, a lot of people are in it and don't know that they're in it. So what are the signs that the everyday person who's going through all, everything that is plaguing our our mental and emotional uh, state from COVID to, you know, George Floyd, uh, what should people be looking for uh, just in like, just say mild, a mild bout of depression? Well, I think it, when people are feeling like they're losing interest in, in things that they used to enjoy doing, uh, they don't want to talk to their friends. They don't want to talk to their family. They just really want to be by themselves. That right there is a red flag. So that would be the number one thing because, you know, we've all gone through that where we don't see people for a minute or two or maybe a day. But when that, that exceeds, um, that's the first thing that I would look at because that's the isolation piece. And then that can lead into more of a more depressive, you know, more more depression and more depressive symptoms. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with admitting these things and seeking help. So my next statement or question would be for anyone who's listening on the podcast today whose child or uh, grandmom or dad or someone has just completely flipped the script since their favorite basketball player and his daughter passed away till now. Something is obviously wrong. How can we find you guys? What do we need to do? So we have, you can go to our website and we have free assessments and there are virtual assessments on the website because sometimes people won't want to come in. So they just go to our, our website, www.sunhouston.com, and they can click on a virtual assessment and they can do an assessment right from the comfort of their own home. And then our clinicians will call them. Um, they can schedule it for whatever time they would like to schedule it for and we'll give them a call and we'll encourage them to come in or we'll, we'll you know, talk with them and, and see what we need to do to help them. Talk to people who want to self-medicate. Hmm. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to put mama on that. Uh-huh. Come on. Yes. Uh, talk about people who want to self-medicate. Uh, we, as we look forward into the future, we have to say SUN, it, what SUN stands for, it solves unmet needs. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about. Get a little closer, mama. The underlining cause of the issue of why they want to self-medicate. Is it personal? Is it financial? We need to get to the root and cause of the analysis. We don't need to have uncomfortable conversations. We need to have crucial conversations because they're crying out for help. Mm -hmm. um, are there any, um, just maybe some things that people can do at home right now that are listening to the podcast and mm -hmm. once they're done mm -hmm. that they can do to, I don't know, maybe just decompress, like just from a professional standpoint with what you all do, it, even if it's some of your own practices, because I think that with all that is going on um, in the world, um, it's affecting us all. I, I think that is a great question. I, I, I'll share a little bit about what I'm doing. One of the things is I'm doing micro gardening um, because that helps me have some uh, immediate gratification. 
mm-hmm. because all of our schedules in life has changed. Uh, five months ago, we might be meeting in a studio versus doing it over the phone. Um, right. I, most of my meetings are now coming in um, from uh, talking over the phone or through the website. So I have to find things that keep me busy and keep my family busy. I, I know that when we think about our kids, their whole schedule has changed. And so we have to develop a schedule that keeps their interest uh, high um, and that we connect it to an activity from day to day um, so that they can not only feel productive, um, but, but that self-esteem is built in accomplishing things. So sometimes it's small things that we use to help us feel a sense of accomplishment and still feel us connected to life. And although we've got to be creative about it, you know, board games sometimes become enough. So we have to find other things that we do that's having fun. And I've, I've been looking at some things online like TikToks, where people are going above and beyond um, in regards to the activities they're doing with their kids, with their family, um, having dance-offs within the family, just things that continue to tell people and, and reinforce that vibrance for life and, and keep them connected to life. Mm-hmm. We found listening to music, daily meditations, developing new mantras, a completely different mind routine than I had been involved in, or just taking off my shoes and going outside and walking in the grass for about five or 10 minutes, just reconnecting with nature, finding a neighbor that I didn't know across the street. And we've been in the same neighborhood for eight years, never even knew his name. Now we're best of friends. Those yes. things play into this as well, correct? Absolutely. Yes. My, my next door neighbor and I are now doing plan exchanges. Wow. You know, yeah. it, it, it has changed our relationship, but it, uh, it is also helpful for me because now I get a new plant. She gets to teach me how to take care of it, and I give her new plants and teach her how to take care of it because we need that interaction mm-hmm. in society to help us feel vibrant and connected and worthwhile. Indeed. To, um, to go back on just the whole stigma of mental health in our mm-hmm. community for mm-hmm. d- decades, you know, had been... Eons. Don't eons. even bring it up. <laughs> like, no, Uncle Johnny will be all right. He just, he's having a moment right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, trust me. Uh-uh. You know, That's uh, my era. Uh, all of that. Yeah. And, 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 and now we see that <laughs> we should have been getting checked out all, all the time. along, yeah. like, as we go to our you know uh pcp to get our yearly physicals um with with our with our mental and our brain can we can we talk about the stigma in our community that i here lately i will say within the last you know two years or so you know the black community has been more accepting to um mental health you know opening up about about it talking about the traumas that uh lead to it um how how are you all helping with with that of course besides having of course the facility but i mean outside of it your take on this whole ordeal you know it's interesting because we had a conversation this morning about uh, this morning i was watching the news and i felt a sense of hope like i never felt it before um in regards to where we move on as a community But my other hope is that we begin to look at how all lives matter, people with mental health disorders, people who are suffering with PTSD, whether it was Mm. from the armed forces or just living life. Um, And our our brothers and sisters in the the LGBT community, 
that we make sure that when we go to the table to talk about life changes, we bring them all along. And when you think about mental health, one of the things that's really scary is that when you start looking for the root cause of the mental illness, it doesn't just start with the individual. It starts with taking a look at what we need to make more healthy in our lives as a family and things that we need to address, forgive, and let go and move forward from. So I think sometimes the fear around mental health is that people know in their subconscious or in the back of their minds that it's not just about that person. It's also about us, the loved ones that surround him. And being brave and overcoming that fear of addressing those issues make us all healthier than we were. Um, and, you know, I was looking at the young people and with the uh, with the protest the other day, and, and people were saying, "I wish they would really, I, I wish they would really calm down the violence." And I said, "You know, it's just reflective of the PTSD over centuries of, okay. of not being a part." Mm-hmm. And and um, it's not to condone the behavior, but it's to understand the driver. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 that I hope as we move forward, and and we at Sun believe that everybody matters, and we just happen to serve a specific consumer. And that's a consumer with a mental health. And that stigma has been strong. And I've been doing this for 33 years. And I have seen a change. You've hit it dead on the head. In the last decade, I have seen a change of people feeling like I can reach out for help. But I also seen the change that we talk about it in the social media of it's okay people have depression. You spoke earlier about the fact that we all suffer through depression. And it's been the biggest fight for all of us, I think, with this whole change and finding that motivation to operate in a world that we never saw coming. And we don't have a lot of experts to guide us along it. And when you listen to the experts, it's so confusing that you go, okay, we just have to make a commitment to how we're going to go down that path. So we are very committed to that. We're very committed to seeing social change that bring equality more and more to everyone. And that people can shut off the shackles of fear about race, youth, sexism, but mental health is our, our main focus. And we would we would really like for people to know that there is help, that people do get better. And just like any other illness we may suffer from, um, our progression is an individual. And the more the family's involved in that progress, the quicker, the more in depth that progress is. Um, just, just real quick, I wanna make sure that, I know we shared our website, but our number that if people need help and they can call and don't have access to the web is 713-929-2904. And, and you know, we encourage everybody to, to, to reach out for help. And, you know, a majority of the people we see for assessments, we do so many that we really recommend they go to traditional outpatient. Um, it's only a few that wind up coming inpatient or to our outpatient services. Sometimes it's just the first time people have reached out for help and we're just a resource provider. And being that that's our advocacy, we don't mind being able to connect people with the resources that they need. All we need, sir, is your phone number two more times. All right. I'll say it for you twice. 713-929-2904. That number is 713-929-2904. Mr. Brennan Francois, the CEO of Sun Behavioral Health Houston, Ms. Kia Walker, CNO, and the Director of Clinical Services, Rebecca 
Van, Van, oh man, I forgot that fast. But say it for me again. Van Vagel. Van Vagel. That's Rebecca. Dutch, Casey. It's Dutch, you know. <laughs> Van Vagel. Thank you all so much uh, for coming on and sharing this information uh, with the world. We really appreciate you. Thank you guys Thank for you. having us. Um, keep believing in, in, in this. I, I, I think it's connected to where we're living right now. Indeed. You're absolutely Indeed. correct, sir. And thank you for being a part of the Public Affairs Podcast. It will continue right after this. From your local BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. Back with the one and only Uncle Funky Larry Jones. I'm KG Smoot. KG, what a beautiful week we've had in the city of Houston. Mm-hmm. Global impact, mm-hmm. and I'm just as proud of you and the young folk that have been out in front for this movement, and uh, it does my heart good. So, oh well, thank good you. To see you, you know, I um, after the home going, I had the opportunity. Uh, I had got hit up to uh, interview Jamie Fox, mm-hmm. um, and then so I drive to Webster. Uh, it's Jamie Fox. It's Tating Channum. I mean, Tating Channum. Channum Tatum. <laughs> Excuse me, bro. Um, Tank and uh, Sabrina Fulton, mm-hmm. uh, Trayvon Martin's mother. Um, and we were talking about everything, and I asked them why did they, you know, pull up, and they said, you know, this is bigger than us. I had to show solidarity. Mm-hmm. Had a great conversation with Channing Tatum. I asked him, you know, what white people can do, or like, what are you doing? Because mm-hmm. clearly you're here, you're educating yourself. He gave a great answer with that. I suggest people go to Magic's uh, Facebook page to check that out. But a revolution is going on. No doubt. A revolution is going on in the middle of a pandemic. And as Dr. Uh, Gil Scott said, it won't be televised. (laughs) But this time... This time, I I believe it will. With all of these these camera phones, thank God for that. But welcoming to the Public Affairs Podcast that can also chime in and 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 talk about mm-hmm. everything that is going on she is award-winning attorney activist author and america's advocate ladies and gentlemen avia martin is on the public affairs podcast well, good morning hi kg and hi larry hello miss martin how are you I'm fantastic. And Ariva, that's it. You know, Miss Martin, just call me Ariva. I'm a Southern boy, Ariva, forgive me. (laughs) I'm a Southern boy. I'm kind of a Midwest by way of the South girl, so I understand. Yeah, because if if I just called you Ariva without saying Miss Martin, my grandmother would come up out of her heavenly space and (laughs) slap me upside my head. But I have your permission (laughs) to say Ariva. Well, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having. It, it's, it's an honor to have you on. I mean, I'm a I'm a news political head, and I, you know, well, I used to stay on cable news, not since the pandemic and all this, you know, craziness, because I got to protect my my mental health. But you know, I've seen you on all of the shows, be it CNN on HLN, Good Morning America, Doctor Phil, and all of that. And so, uh, thank you for the service that you do. I mean, yes. you are, you know, <laughs> the aptly named or aptly coined. America's advocate. Um, how do you feel about everything that's going on right now? As I said, there's a revolution going on. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm both 
happy, I'm sad, I'm outraged, I'm encouraged. I, I'm just a big ball of emotion. <laughs> I think it's the best way I can put it. Some days I'm just so optimistic. Other days I'm incredibly angry and outraged. Yep. Uh, so it's a lot going. It's a lot. I don't know if any of us that are living today or uh, have you know ever lived through a, a period in our history that has had so many revolutionary, as you guys are using that word, things happening all at once. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to take it all in. Indeed, um, it was a lot. I mean, we had three back to back: Ahmad Aubrey. Brianna Taylor, whose killers are still at large, by the way, have not been arrested. Yeah. Like now, let's focus on. We got to focus on that now that we've laid Big Floyd to rest. Yep. Um, and then, of course, our very own uh, George Floyd, who was just murdered in front of us. Today. And those are the ones that have gotten media attention. So there are so many Mid- police oh, shootings in talk this country about it. every day most of which never make headline news and definitely not national or international news. And I think that's the part when I I talk about one of those emotions I feel is outrage because it's easy to think that when we bury George or we deal with Brianna or Ahmad that we're solving the problem. And we saw even in the midst of the protests, Mm -hmm. the violence against the protesters. It was like, brazen acts of violence and not just against African-American protesters, right? We saw the 75-year-old white man knocked down, blood streaming out of his ears Mm -hmm. and police walking by him like he was a rag doll. We've, you know, my colleague at CNN arrested, I interviewed on my uh, digital show, Michael Harriet, he's arrested in Alabama. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the list is just... It's so long. Not only that, I have another one, Ariva. I saw a group of young white protesters actually get tear gassed by the police because they thought that they were on their knees kneeling. And so they got down to kneel in solidarity with the officers. And then the officers sprayed tear gas, threw that tear gas bomb at them as they kneeled with them. Wow. This was in Portland. This was in Portland, Oregon. So, yeah, so, I don't think we've ever seen such brazen attacks by uh, law enforcement against everyday citizens. And, you know, just and, I, we haven't. And, and to your point, Ariva, we haven't seen because history will remind us about the Tulsa race riots that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. The brutal beating of Emmett Till that we didn't see only after the fact of how swollen his head was and, and what his, mm. his mama wanted everyone in the world to see what her child faced when she sent him down to Mississippi. They lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and Rosewood. Yeah, Rosewood. Rosewood. And I and I and I and I, and I think about the, the 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 support from other races and then you flash back to those freedom riders in Mississippi who were on that bus, those white men and women who were helping us get the right to vote and they blew those buses up. Where does all of this mix with history and how much more can we take as a people, do you think? Well, we do know as African-Americans, we are resilient, right? And yep, we've been most. through some things that would, call, would break the souls and the will of most, but it hasn't done that to us. And I don't think even what we're living through today will break us. I think we will continue to 
you know, rise up and meet the occasion and we'll keep fighting and we'll keep advocating uh, for justice because that's what we know to do and that's what we've done for the last 400 years. Uh, But we do know we can't reach an equitable and inclusive society without the help of everybody. This isn't just a black issue. Racism isn't just a black issue. It's a white issue. It's a Latino issue. It's an Asian issue. It's an everybody issue. Uh, And that's why I want to ask you, I know it's your interview with me, but I want to ask you, what did Channing say about Mm. what he is doing and what he tells his brothers, his sister, his white friend? You know, what is he telling them that um, they should be doing in this moment? He said to me that um, he is taking a deeper look within himself, um, that he is getting the education and uh, the history and just uh, listening more because, you know, uh, born into privilege, whether if you, you know, are cognizant of it um, or not, they just, they just don't know. And he also said, and I, and I want to, you know, especially to white men, like look within yourself and see, you know, what it is. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, you're not going to get it right. So don't expect to get it right, just open yourself up to learn and understand and have uh, empathy. And, you know, and I shared some of my experience uh, with him and, you know, just told him like, it's exhausting. And he was like, and see, and that's nothing that's totally foreign to me. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, and I didn't even know. And that's funny that, uh, because you said that to me I, I, uh, I, the I, other day, like mm-hmm. they hang around and they don't even know the stories of their close black friends. I was a part of the first class of integration in 67, 68 in Prince George's County, which was then Prince George's County, Maryland, if you don't know, which was then 80% white. Mm-hmm. It is now almost 90% black. But we had friends and family members who interacted with both communities, and we had just come off of the riots of D.C. in 68 from the killing of Dr. King and Robert Kennedy, and there was then the the uh, uh, the war against Vietnam march on the mall. There was uh, Dr. Abernathy's uh, mm-hmm. Poor People's March, and we had all of that, and they were unaware that any of us should be a fa- It was as if it was them over there as opposed to you right here. And I said, look at me. I am one of those over there. But no, you're you're like, so the awareness was totally off because we just hung out. We played sports together. We we, we were on championship basketball teams. And the, 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 the racial anxieties of the world, none, none of them that I can remember ever used the N-word, which would have been more popular back then than now. But it was never that. There was just this camaraderie of young kids growing up, trying to get through high school together and then taking on the world with 15 miles down the street. The world was inflamed around us. And somehow we were we were shielded from that or they were shielded from that. So when they became aware of it, they were like, you know, we just didn't know we weren't aware. And a lot of them well, let's go down and they want to do something. They didn't know what to do, but they wanted to assemble it. You know, you guys are going to march. We're going to, we're going to be right there with you because they didn't see me as a black dude. They saw me as their friend who just mm-hmm. happened to be black. 
And it wasn't, it was just never that way. So to his, to his, to his awareness, um, there are a lot of our Caucasian brothers and sisters and Asian brothers and sisters and Latino brothers and sisters who have not reached the area of awareness mm-hmm. until, until Big Floyd. Yeah. They were aware of Brianna. They were aware of, 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 Ahmad. of uh, Ahmad. And surely the world knew of, of, of uh, the little boy in Florida. Trayvon. Uh, Trayvon. So, but this one hit home because of the, the 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 systematic continuation of this unusual process and then we get to see a live murder we get to see the total brutality of someone who ignores compassion mm-hmm. ignores a man who's crying out for his mama telling you he's physically unable he can't talk or breathe and you continually put Too pressure casually. on him to casually go <laughs> casually. okay i don't care I, I can't breathe. I don't care. You can't breathe. Really? Mm-hmm. So the reaction has awakened mm-hmm. a lot of people. And I'm glad that Channing Tatum said that he was looking to do the work himself because, you know, because I asked him, I was like, a lot of white folks keep asking, what can we do? And I asked him, like, what are you doing? Because the burden isn't on us to teach y'all because this ain't our bag. This is y'all bag. So y'all figure it out. This was made up by y'all, not us. So y'all figure it out. They're gonna need some help, KG. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna need KG, some help. I've been telling them what to do because I'm getting triggered too many times by this question of what to do. Right, it ain't all that complicated. It really. ain't come, come on, on. <laughs> exactly. Come on. <laughs> you know exactly. Exactly. Read a couple of books. Read yep. Listen to a couple of key podcasts. Yes. Watch some woke folks on TV and then do something. I don't know about you guys, but I've gotten a barrage of emails from big companies like Uber and Nordstrom's department store and this big property developer in LA mm-hmm. with these long, beautifully written letters about how they're standing <laughs> with protesters and they despise racism and, you know, on and on and on. And one said they were going to donate more money to a couple of nonprofits. And I'm thinking, okay, you guys are so missing this moment. If you think the solution to this problem mm-hmm. is dropping a check right. on a nonprofit organization. And what I've been telling people to do every opportunity I get, I say, do something. Stand with protesters if you want to. Do a post, hashtag, whatever it is makes you feel good. But go into your offices. You are in positions of authority, Mr. Nordstrom. Look at how many black people are in on your management team. Change that today. Mm-hmm. Mr. Uber, pay your drivers a living wage so they can have health care, pay their rent, take care of their families. There are some immediate things like that. If white folks just did that, if every CEO in this company made changes within their own organizations, we would start to break some of the systemic issues that go far beyond policing. Because this ain't just about the police. You know, police are called on to to do things in communities where people have not been educated. They haven't had good, healthy food. They live in, you know, squalid uh, conditions. So if we want to address the police issue, we got to address all these other systemic issues. And our white friends we're talking about, a lot of them control a lot of these uh, systems and they can change them very easily. Well, Ariva, I'm going to take it a step further. Mm-hmm. They specifically designed it to keep us down. I I mean, John Oliver, last week tonight, uh, John Oliver 
that was the most compelling 35 minutes of my life on getting the history of the of law enforcement as it came up through the decades and how the police unions have mm-hmm. the lock and yep. the hold you know on this and so um I'm all for defunding the police. I know I talked to Larry about it. He was like, it just sounds radical. But, you know, we're just talking about taking all of that money that they have and allocating those funds to somewhere else to invest in people who specialize in mental health that can come in and, and you know, de-escalate an issue. What? That somebody that's dealing with violence can de-escalate it instead of taking somebody who is threatened for their lives and want and want to shoot first. But and to your honor and to your credit, KG and Ariva, please, if, if you can chime in on this, because you challenged me with that. I did a deep dive and found the story of the Candom, New Jersey mm-hmm. Police yes. Department. Yes. Which mm-hmm. was defunded. The model that everyone's citing. Yep. That is going to be the blueprint. And I was overjoyed. I said, first of all, and I, being the elder statesman here at the station, um, people kind of think I've forgotten how to learn. And that's not the case at all. But when I'm challenged, I said, okay. It sounded one way, but the truth is it really will and can work if done properly. But where in the world is it? And it was right there in New Jersey. So can you can you speak to our audience on on, on that, ma'am? Your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and to KG, your point about taking it a step further uh, and the history of policing, again, I say do something because, again, these police unions have people that run them and control them. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, automatically controlled by some foreign object or human being. So they can do something. They can stop negotiating behind closed doors, these right. contracts that protect rogue cops. Come on. But what happened in Camden was they dismantled the police department and they started all over. Uh, and it wasn't, it's not as if there aren't police in the city of Camden, but they started with a, a new approach that says you are here to protect and serve. And one of the first things you're going to do when you get hired, you're going to go into the community and knock on every door in the community where you're going to work. And you're going to get to know the people that you work with. You're going to interact with those people as human beings. You're going to understand what goes on in their family. Do they have anyone in their household that has a mental illness? Do they have anyone that's on the autism spectrum? Do they have anyone you know, that, that needs a little extra help in any way, shape, form, or fashion? And you're going to become a part of that community. And we're not going to ask you to police a community uh, that you don't know. Now, we should say this, Larry, there have been criticisms I've read some criticism from activists in Camden that says, yeah, things are better, but Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the criticisms is that a lot of the police officers don't live in Camden, that they come in from other communities. So they still think that there is a disconnect as it relates to African-American communities, uh, that the people aren't really from the communities. But I think it is the best example of dismantling and rebuilding. And I think, you know, Joe Biden got, a little nervous when they ask him if he want to dismantle or defund police, and it's become a, a matter of semantics. Mm-hmm. No one is saying that you won't have police to deal with criminal activity. Nobody said that but ever. No one is saying that. They're <laughs> saying, as you said, KG, if you have a mental health issue, let's call a social worker who's mm-hmm. trained in de-escalating and dealing with people with mental health issues. If you're looking for a missing child, Let's have someone who knows how to find a missing child. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. You know, I'm an autism advocate. I had to go to work on the local 
law enforcement in L.A. because we had a, a missing kid with autism who had eloped from his home, and we were looking for him. Uh, and we didn't need police. We needed people trained in understanding right. what happens to kids with autism when they elope. Because there's a very specific thing that they do, their patterns that they follow, their places that they go. And how would you expect a police right. to know exactly. that? They wouldn't they, know. Right. I mean, they, they just wouldn't. can't know all yeah. of that, yeah. right? We put too much <laughs> on them. Know. Exactly. We put too much too on much them. Too much on them. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think that's what we're talking about is getting that budget allocated in a way that makes sense and getting the professionals with the training and expertise in all these different areas. And police, you know what was ironic? Every police on TV will say, oh, we welcome that. You know, we, we're doing too much. But let's see if they put their money where their mouth right. is because when we start <laughs> so, taking hundreds of millions out of that budget, okay, <laughs> let's see if they're still in line with, you know, take all of this off of us. Because if we take it off you, we're taking the money with it. And that's going to be the challenge. Oh, Reva, we're we're growing a, 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 a home-based podcast out of Houston that's growing by leaps and bounds. And I would love for you to take this time to promote your next book, your next television appearance, your website, your IG address. How can people stay connected to you? You can follow me on all social media platforms at Ariva Martin, and I've been doing a, a tri-weekly digital show called The Special Report with Ariva Martin, where I've been talking about these really critical issues, everything from the COVID-19 pandemic to uh, this race pandemic that we're dealing with. So people can Mm -hmm. uh, check my show out, 9 a.m. PST on Facebook Live and YouTube, uh, and catch up with me at my website, arivamartin.com, and again, follow me on all social platforms at Ariva Martin. She's America's advocate, <laughs> attorney Ariva Martin. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was an honor. This was real, a real treat for me because I follow you. Thank so you, much. guys. Thank you. And me, too. And we will That's see you week. next week for the Public Affairs Podcast. Take care.